This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of All Things Considered CX. I'm your host, Bob Asman, the founder of Innovative CX Solutions, a past chairperson of the CXPA, and a practitioner with many years of transforming global operations and designing better customer experiences. Together with our guests and listeners, we seek to discuss, challenge, and create new understanding about how to inspire better experiences in response to ever-changing customer expectations. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the All Things Considered CX podcast. I'm your host, Bob Aswin, and I'm glad to have you back for another episode. And this one is uh, one of the episodes that I love to do throughout our season of podcasts, and that is what I call the adjacent podcast, meaning that we're not going to talk specifically about customer experience or experience management today, but we're going to talk about as CX professionals and as leaders, how do we um, be good coaches and how do we coach ourselves and be better leaders? And so I'm really thrilled to have Kevin Wilde joining me today to the podcast to talk about coachability and, and leadership development. So Kevin, welcome. And if you would introduce yourself to our listeners. Right, Bob. Thanks for having me, and and uh, hopefully we're going to have a great conversation that will be useful to to uh, uh, your, your audience. And uh, I would uh, describe myself as uh, someone that's had a forty year corporate career, and I'm currently uh, a fellow at the University of Minnesota, teaching and and researching leadership in the executive MBA program, also supply chain. Uh, I do uh, writing, advising, uh, but just darn curious about leadership and how. Uh, great leadership makes a huge difference uh, for not just the immediate team, but to customers and communities. So always trying to learn more. That's great, Kevin. And, and, in, and in all transparency, Kevin and I work in the uh, same department at the University of Minnesota Carlson School of Business. And, and that's where I got acquainted with Kevin and, and his book, which we are going to talk about in a few minutes, and some of his philosophy and approach. And so it was really great that he could join us today. Uh, so, Kevin, before we get into kind of the the um, details of what we're going to talk about today and the subject of leadership development and coachability, tell us a little bit about your career and, and how you got uh, into this and doing this. And, and uh, it's always great to hear the, the career path of, of the guests I have on the podcast. And, and and Bob, if, if many of your guests are like mine, it's like it, how do how do how do you connect all those dots? So I've, I've done <laughs> right. a number of things, but um, I want to go back. You know, I've always the central kind of the red thread of my career, the plot has always been around talent development and what great results matter because of great leadership. And I'll go back to when I was in high school, 16 years old. Uh, I'm in a business club. We have a weekend workshop uh, where we go off to a hotel and we had facilitators and it was all about leadership. And Bob, I had never heard this concept before about, you know, leaders have different styles and they impact a team and they can bring the best out of people or the worst. And I, I just became enamored. It was one of those magical moments that I'm sure a lot of people have had that I'm just fascinated with this topic. And I remember stepping, sitting back and looking at the, the teacher facilitator thinking, wow, I wonder if you get paid to do this job. <laughs> and I found <laughs> over there that, yes, you can. Uh, and so I've had 17 years at General Electric 
number of divisions. I, I you know, the highlight was being the um, uh, global uh, training manager for the uh, Cortonville Corporate Training Center. Uh, and I had uh, 12 officers come in from GE and teach, including Jack Welch. So I got to see Jack at his best uh, during the days. And, you know, back when GE was, you know, on top of the game, that was great. And then 17 years at General Electric or General Mills, rather, uh, as the chief learning officer and talent development officer, you know, building that um, organization in terms of uh, the talent, whatnot. And, you know, recently it's been uh, eight years of uh, teaching at the University of Minnesota and studying this leadership thing and, you know, my my hot topic of coachability. And I know we're going to get into that, but it really was a charm for, by the way, I also had some cross-functional assignments as a manufacturing supervisor when I learned, yeah, the theory of leadership is great, but when you really do it, it is hard. And the true you comes out. Uh, but I also had roles in marketing, quality, Six Sigma. Uh, and I've always been fascinated with business too. So all the different aspects, including supply chain. How does this really work? So it's been a, a passion about people, a passion about leadership, uh, and just a fascination, you know, how things work. It's interesting you bring this up about passions um, that you have, Kevin. I was in a conversation with another colleague earlier today, and she was emphasizing how important it is for your personal brand to be known for, as she called it, purpose, principles, and passion. And mm -hmm. you hit on that. And I'm wondering your thoughts on that as well. Um, when you look at personal development and those passions, do the passions lead you into different directions? How did you choose to go from from General Electric to General Mills, what what were some thoughts there from you on that path? On that path, I, I do like that model, and, and I just would add as I've watched and developed other leaders, both in my corporate days, but now teaching and coaching, uh, there clearly needs to be that inner drive of you know being at your best every day, no matter what the environment and challenges are. And you know we all have stretch days, and we all do things that may not be what we choose to do. But I, I just find people that are bringing their best have that sense of purpose. Uh, have that sense of support, community, and stretch, if you will, at the same time. Uh, but every once in a while, checking back and, and if you will, being reflective. Uh, and as one uh, Harvard uh, professor once said, good leaders from time to time get off the dance floor, get up to the balcony. And I, I think that purpose and perspective and then passion is that regaining perspective, too, on what's important. Mm -hmm. And Kevin, what have you seen evolve over the years in terms of leadership development and so forth are you seeing trends or what's happening out there and especially because you teach um, professionals that are in the work environment uh, and going to school and and have had firsthand knowledge of that as well are there things you're seeing that are changing and trends and so forth you know bob last week i, I kicked off um a few of my leadership courses at the u and and, and i start with one question and, and it's your question is, has leadership changed in the last two years? And we start with a debate. And on one side, oh, absolutely, the pandemic, the supply chain, the uh, social justice, the you know, on and on, the world conflicts, it has changed. And then the other half of the class, oh, no, no, no. There are some clear principles, evergreen topics, capabilities that you need to build and sustain as a leader and then apply it. Um, and so it's, it's a great debate back and forth. I'll give you my list in a minute. But I think at the end of the day, the way that I then pose it to the class is, where do you want to change in the next year? So regardless of whether it's something new, you need to adapt the environment or something that's true, but you want to keep building it as kind of a, an evergreen skill capability, 
whichever side of the debate you want to be on, it's more of a where do you want to go? Um, so I can throw my hot topics out there, but I think it comes back to the personal. How, how do I grow and how do I keep my capabilities in the growing in the right direction? Um, I, I think the uh, leaders right now is an interesting tension between empathy and flexibility of your workforce, of, you know, your, your really, you know, connecting with customers and all that and productivity. Um, and I don't think it's a trade-off. I, I think you can have both. So I, I would say the big headline of great leaders I'm seeing today, it's not an either or, it's an and. How can I continue to extend, um, you know, the, the empathy, the support, the flexibility that we had to offer to help us all get through the pandemic and at the same time, get the job done? and deal with the challenges of productivity, et cetera, but not trade one off for the other. So to me, it's 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 an and, A-N-D, um, world of leadership. Best of this, best of that. How can I keep that going and, and bring it together? So, Kevin, uh, this is more of a curiosity question for me because of your, your knowledge and expertise and your engagement with students and professionals is it seems the hot topic out there is, are we going back into the office or aren't we? And there's hybrid models and remote models and on-site models and all these different models. Um, are your students voicing that? And that challenge is how do you lead in a remote environment? How do you lead in a hybrid environment, et cetera? It, it is. Uh, and I've seen it both from my students. I also, I'm a business advisor to a couple human capital research firms. And they're currently studying, you know, those that are demanding back in the office, those that are continuing to be remote, and then all of that. And to me, the headline is we are in one of the greatest um, work definition um, evolutions we've had probably in the last century. Uh, and it's a combination of technology and, again, uh, what's an office and what is work, what is artificial intelligence play in all of this. I don't, I don't think we're at the end of the play. <laughs> we might be at the end of the first act. But I think we're getting into the second act. So the long, the short answer to that is, who knows? Who knows? We have to do the best <laughs> that we've got. We've got to learn. Back to the, I think there are some universal skills, regardless of in the office, out of the office that leaders need to have. Uh, but the one thing that caught my attention the other day is uh, in one of the articles I've read on the whole hybrid thing or whatnot, is, you know, the place of work should be something that the employees can't get done anywhere else. So if you rethink of the work that needs to get done, the contribution you need to make, the place needs to be so special that what goes on there, you can only get it done there. And I think once we're all clear on what that is for our firm or our industry or our city, then the choices of this or that um, matter less. So again, the, the compelling leadership challenge I see is less about you're here, you're there, we're doing this, we're doing that, is what what is unique and how do I build the right environment so that the only way you can get this done is with this kind of collaboration that is, I think, the 21st century model. That's that's really interesting, Kevin. It's it's redefining work. It's not just talking about whether we should be remote or hybrid. In essence, it's redefining the definition of work. That, that's which, that's where I'm at. And again, which, back to the earth. Yeah, and your early question. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then how does that mm -hmm. redefine leadership? And I was like, well, some mm -hmm. things are different. Some things are the same. Exactly. So uh, that's great background. Uh, and uh, listeners, you're listening to Kevin Wilde um, talk about leadership development. And we're going to get in now to his latest book, Coachability, the Leadership Superpower. And 
Uh, Kevin, let's start by talking about what prompted you to write the book and maybe some highlights, because I know there's a few items in the book that I want to talk to you about, but I want to give you the opportunity to to share your perspective on on the book and why you wrote it. Thank you. Yeah, and and and, and I would say that one word can describe why I started this, and the word is failure. The word is failure. And in fact, at one point, the CEO said, Kevin, you know more about failure here than anyone else. I said, is that a compliment? I'm not <laughs> sure. But essentially, I would meet with the CEO and the senior team. Uh, periodically, we'd talk about the top 500 leaders, officers, directors worldwide, who's doing great. Where is there an opening? How do we prepare someone? So there was a lot of great success. But I started noticing, Bob, that every once in a while, I'd look at the high potential list, and there were names missing. Their name's missing on the list. And I'd say, hey, whatever happened to so-and-so? Like, oh, yeah, they left, or we told them to leave. <laughs> like, really? Really? So I started doing almost, and I, I've got a background as a master black belt, so I started doing, if you will, a Six Sigma analysis of, okay, this is a failure. We've got to an analyze it, what's driving it, what are, what are the causes, and how to reduce the variation, if you will, both for the corporation, but also the human life involved in all of this. And as I started digging into, and I would do post-mortem uh, interviews, um, I would dig into the personal files and I would find some patterns. The most stunning one was this. There, the, 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 the executive that derailed, in their last leadership survey, their last 360 of record, they had one question that was dramatically lower than my successful officers and directors. And this question was, does this leader seek and respond to feedback? And for some reason, that was 30 points lower than my average leadership population. And again, these were very successful, hardworking, great accomplishments on the scoreboard, but then something happened. And that led me to the science of derailment. Uh, and I started studying, I thought, you know what, I'm not gonna write a book on derailment. It's like, okay, we, we know that. But the mm -hmm. flip side is coachability. Why did those people lose their coachability? And more importantly, how was it some people maintain their coachability throughout their whole career and what matters? And that was the book. That was the uh, the book I did, uh, as well as uh, the webinars I'm doing and other things about what is this thing called coachability? Why do I I believe it's an underserved topic that both propels a great career, but also can be something that trips you up. Excellent. And um, there there are a few topics that I shared with Kevin uh, listeners about that seem to relate to the experience management field that we're in. Mm -hmm. And um, I want to cover some of those with Kevin right now to kind of give you the highlights of the, of the book and, and encourage you to go out and, and read the entire book cover to cover. But one of the, one of the things, Kevin, that we spend a lot of time as CX professionals doing is building cases, the ROI for experience investments, the ROI for customer experience and loyalty, the ROI for lifetime value. We just, we're kind of caught up right now in a trend within the experienced mm -hmm. professionals about uh, their ROI. And one of the topics you talk about in your book is the case for coachability. So mm -hmm. it resonated with me that said, well, wait a minute, we're trying to build this case for CX. What is that case for coachability? Mm -hmm. And it, it's a great model I have in a lot of ways. And again, what I started with the failure aspect um, and the failure was uh, if you lose your coachability over time, you can get blind spots. And sometimes those blind spots really matter and you don't find out about them until it's too late. So I think the avoiding the downside of blind spots, staying coachable is important. But as I started digging into literature in my own research is there's a huge upside. And 
you know, I'll give you a couple snippets that's in there. Uh, one thing we found is we looked at the, the survey firm that did our work. They had this huge database, 50,000 leaders in a survey database, a million data points, uh, all industries worldwide, all levels. And we created a coachability index of the survey results and then looked at other factors. And the one thing we found is the higher the coachability score is as viewed by others, the higher your overall leadership is seen, the more you're seen as strategic, the more you're seen as influential, the more you're creative and problem solving, uh, and if you will, delivering greater value to the organization. Um, so there was that overall result. I've seen some other independent studies of consulting firms and you know, on and on about performance and potential is higher and it correlates strongly with their coachability. They're interested in getting better and doing certain practices. Uh, one of my favorite studies, uh, they looked at the skills of the manager as coach and the employee as being coachable and what mattered to performance, potential, agility, uh, and other outcomes was not the skill of the manager. It was the learning and drive of the employee and that's employee at all levels. So it matters in a lot of ways, but here, here's the problem, Bob. We also went back to the, the database and we looked at what happens to coachability as you advance in a career. What happens when you're in a job for a longer period of time? What happens as you get older? And coachability plummets. It's tragic, but it's, you know, frontline supervisor was rated 71% positive. Yep, that person coachable. They learn, they get better. By the time you're a senior leader, that is well under 50%. So there's a gradual decline that happens, regardless of, you know, not just being derailed, but in general, that we lose that muscle of being curious, being what I call the learning zone, um, and being coachable. So it's my mission to bring that back, and I think there's a strong case for it. It definitely sounds as if there is absolutely. Um, the next uh, element in your book, Kevin, that resonated for me was um, a, a roadmap. And of course, in customer experience, we spent a lot of time doing journey mapping and trying to understand the customer journey through the organization's brand, its products and its services. Share with me a little bit, again, a little snippet to whet our listeners' appetite about your concept around this roadmap. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I love kind of the journey experience roadmap, and I continue to try to learn that myself. The, the book itself has got two parts. The first part is sort of the derailment research, then the, uh, you know, what what does the research say on coachability, and then what what does it look like? And having interviewed a number of executive coaches, looking at the literature, doing my own work, what I found was highly coachable people, uh, there, there's like five different dimensions um, and you could map it out. And so that's where the, the map came from. The, the first part is though the mindset and where it starts is the mindset of, I'm not a finished product. I wanna keep getting better. And uh, I, I've got a little uh, coachability self-assessment uh, that people wanna try, I'd be happy to pass something along. What, what I found is highly coachable leaders are, are seeing themselves that they want to improve and it's got two dimensions to it. One dimension, I guess there were five questions that predicted coachability. Two of the questions dealt with mission critical. I want to get better because it helps me achieve goals. I want to get better because I can live certain values. Um, I want to develop. And, and if you will, that feedback, that coaching is critical. You um, know, you may get to a point and you're like, you know what? I don't need that. I'm too busy. I don't see the ROI. Highly coachable people see the ROI. It pays off. So that's the, the first part. The other surprising thing in looking at highly coachable leaders is that they, they essentially had a set of practices, things they did, and that fit into their context, that fit into their um, 
preferences and style, but it kept them coachable. And those were essentially the practices about how to go out and ask for it, seek, uh, how to respond well when it shows up, how to think about it. Oftentimes they reflected more than most of us do, the balcony thing. And then finally they took action. And if you will, if you think about that as a roadmap, you know, am I mindset? Am I seeing myself as, you know, I can learn some things. It's going to put me in my learning zone. And then what are certain practices? How do I ask for it? How do I respond? How do I think about it? And then how do I move forward and take action if it's important for me to do? And that to me was the roadmap I saw what highly coachable people did. And the good news is we can all take parts of that and build it back into our game. Indeed, we indeed we can. Listeners, we're talking to Kevin Wilde, um about his book, Coachability, the Leadership Superpower. Kevin, one other item I want to touch on that resonated for me, and then I'll I'll let you talk a little bit about uh, some highlights of the book that you'd like to share with our listeners. But one of the things we spend a lot of time on, again, as CX professionals, is gathering data mm-hmm. and analyzing data. And one of the challenges that we've heard within the profession is, that, yeah, we gather all this data, but we don't act on it. Or we ask our customers to tell us all this information, and then we don't act on it. We just keep doing things the way we were doing them before. And so there's a there's a growing desire within the experience management community to say, if you're not going to do anything on the data, then then stop collecting it. And one of the things you talk about in the book is, you know, start acting. And, it, and um, I think it's fascinating, this concept, and I'd like you to Share a little bit more about that, if you would. Yeah, and, and, and being a customer in so many ways. I mean, there, there's a number of customer satisfaction surveys I don't answer anymore. It's like, you didn't do anything last time I told you things, so <laughs> right. I can empathize. But we are we are swimming in data, uh, and data is important, and we'll, we'll see where generative AI and all these things help us understand meeting. I always start with, well, well, you know, why am I gathering this in the first place? And it's an obvious question. Uh, but in, in the case, I'll just take it from the coachability perspective, that if you are seeking input, oftentimes I'll ask leaders, you know, what are you curious about? What would help you in your job? What, what are things that might be your blind spot that you need to go out and seek? And, the, you know, we've got a, a number of ideas and techniques on how to do that. But knowing why you ask the question in the first place, why you're gathering data, always grounds you and brings you back. But then I think it's also the, did you hear the whole message? And then have you thought about it enough? And I always coach people that when you're responding to feedback and, and observation from others, you need to be in a great listening mode. You're not there to agree with everything, but you're there to understand everything, if you will, really get to know the data. But then you've got to sift it for, you know, how important is this? What have I heard this before? Is this critical for me now? Is this something that wasn't important before, but it's important now? So there is that sort of exploration about, you know, what does it mean? But then that final point about, okay, is this something I should act on? Or is this something I should put aside? Uh, And what I found highly coachable leaders will think more about it but then be very decisive on I'm going to put this one on hold or I'm going to put it on my watch list or no, I need to change or I need to start little small experiments. And again, what I found was high coachable leaders are credible in the eyes of others because they listen well, they want to improve. They may not agree with everything you've told them, but you do see an effort and if you will, taking action. And so that was kind of the action part. And as I studied the, what they did, it was always a balance of, there's a lot of things that get in the way of taking action. Highly coachable leaders reduce those things. And then there's things that propel us to action. And highly coachable leaders figure, okay, here's some ways that I can get this started. So that to me is an art of the balance sheet about once I've decided, yes, I want to do something about this, 
that I engineer uh, success and how I follow through. That's really interesting, um, Kevin, because having been in corporate environments for most of my career, some 40 years of um, being involved in you know, various personnel surveys, uh, 360 performance appraisals and so forth, there, there was an element for me where it was like great data. Where do I start? What, you know, obviously continue to do the positive things, but when there's feedback that says these are areas where I can improve, it's like, I always felt this sense of, yeah, I think they've nailed it, but how do I, how, what do I do? Right. What's my mm-hmm. next step? And mm-hmm. I think that's what you're highlighting here. <clears throat> yeah. Um, again, there are situations where, you know, the, the feedback is clear you know, Kevin, stop doing this, or Kevin, start doing more of that. <laughs> Got it. Let's go. So, you know, I mean, let me be oversimplistic about it. There's probably things sitting on all our desks. That, you know, if I just took action on what I've got, things will improve, or I'll learn more. So I think it started with how the coach leaders lean into something. And I think they get some momentum going on an improvement, a change, a spirit of experimentation, a couple of small steps. So, you know, I think it doesn't serve us well to, you know, be too mired in the data or the process of collection. Like, let's just, let's try some things. And what does the gut tell you? Let's go there. And then if you will, on on the experience roadmap, then see where it takes you. And is that where we want to go? Other things that might be, I need to go check with someone else. And again, I'm going to take it back to getting feedback and, you know, growing Mm -hmm. as a leader and being coachable. There are some times when you're not quite sure what it is and what it means that you need to go see a truth teller. You've got to talk to someone that is your your trusted advisor. You got to say, Hey, I've got this feedback or I'm seeing this data. It's got my attention. You know, before I dismiss it, is there anything here I should pay attention to? Or does this connect with anything else you've seen or you, you could help me with? Uh, and so bouncing off of someone where you've built that trusting relationship matters. And again, highly coachable people, not just take data and do things. Um, they've got a network of people that coach them. And I think the same thing probably, uh, Bob, applies to uh, the listeners you've got is, mm-hmm. you know, where's the, not to complicate things, but where it can help someone be your sounding board, clarify it to say what's most important here and help you sift through that. You know, and I think that, that is such great advice to have that network, to have those key advisors and confidants. It's so important, I think, um, to the success of developing as leaders. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, enough uh, of my highlights of the book as listeners, you can probably tell I'm, I'm really uh, excited about the content of this book. Kevin, what are some other highlights you'd like to share with our listeners to entice them to grab it and read it? Uh, it's written for people that don't read leadership books. <laughs> so All right. I, I, would, yeah, I would start, Bob. You <laughs> no know, wonder I, I'm so. No wonder I like it so much. <laughs> oh, you know, you know, well, and I don't want to, you know, insult. I, I've I've got great leadership books and people that I, I follow and admire that. But I just sure. know when I, whenever I'd sit in an executive's office, I'd, I'd I'd stare at their bookshelf and there'd be books, and I'd say, "Wow, that's a good book. What was your favorite chapter?" It's like, well. You know, I read 13 pages and that's that. So I, I wanted to write something that got the message across about this topic matters. Here's what it looks like. Here's why it's compelling for you. But then also, what do people do? So the uh, the book really talks about tactics and ideas and you can grab it. And literally at the end of every chapter, I've got a summary that says, all right, here are the three points of the chapter. Boom. Here are two questions to think about. Boom. And then here's like one thing you can do. So there's little worksheets and, and what that is. So it's very action oriented. And then finally, most business books are boring because they don't have good pictures. So I hired an illustrator. And so we've got some fun pictures throughout the book. So again, it's a fun one. It's an easy read. I, I kept it down to under 170 pages. Uh, you can kind of just grab a chapter and go. So 
pragmatic. I think it's got a compelling case, but I'll go back to um, one thing. And that is, uh, there, there's this fun little Google app I did in my research, it's called Google Trends, where you can put in two different search terms in Google and it'll tell you which one's more popular. So I put in the search term, how do I give feedback? Versus the search term, how do I receive feedback? What do you think the answer was on the trends of people searching for giving it versus getting it? I would say giving it outranked getting it. Yeah. And, it, you know, again, giving feedback is hard. You don't want to damage the relationship. You don't want to make the, the message work. And I get it. But like, right. boy, people just don't work on the coachability part. And I think it'd be a uh -huh. lot easier to, to coach someone and give them feedback and help them out if I knew they were working on their coachability. Right? We all need that. Uh, and so to me, it's like we had it once in our career. We're kind of losing it. How do you get back to it? So I think the, the message for the audience, you know, if you're trying to build your team, bring some new products to life, you know, inspire customers, um, think about your own coachability and how can you be in your learning zone, your curious zone uh, to propel that learning? Well, as usual, our time goes way too fast when we're on some of these great topics like leadership development and coachability. And, and Kevin, we certainly appreciate you joining us to talk about this topic because it's so important to CX, well, to everybody, but to CX professionals in particular that might be listening to this podcast. As, uh, as I do with all of our guests, besides thanking you for taking the time to join us, is final words of wisdom for our listeners. Uh, thank you for that. You ask great questions. And you know, I applaud everyone that is into self-development, listening to podcasts, networking with people, curious to pick up a book or whatnot. So I just I just say, what, what would be, if you think about what is in your learning zone, what gets you into that curious mindset to develop yourself? Um, how could you do 10% more, you know, today, this week, 10% more in your learning zone versus just that driving operating zone? Uh, and I think the ROI of coachability would become apparent. Excellent. Kevin Wilde, thank you for joining us, author of Coachability, the Leadership Superpower, and an expert in the area of leadership development and coachability. We thank you for joining the podcast today. Thank you, Bob. This has been another episode of the All Things Considered CX podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed it, please share it with your network and stay tuned for more great sessions like this one as part of the CXFM Radio Network. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of All Things Considered CX. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your colleagues. Subscribe to our show, follow me on LinkedIn, and visit my website at InnovativeCX.com for more insights on creating better experiences. Thanks for joining us for this session of CXFM Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.